Well, good morning. Welcome, Southwoods. Glad you made it this morning and uh, glad that uh, we can be together. We're going to be talking this morning about one of the greatest miracles that God performed. Not the, maybe not the greatest, but among the greatest. This will be among the top ten, you would say, of uh, some of the miracles that God, uh, the Bible tells us about in Scripture. It's recorded in the very first book of the Bible, and I'm talking about the miraculous story of Noah's Ark and the flood and the escape from that. Most people have heard about it in our generation, but increasingly few understand its significance. And so today we're going to make a stab at making sure that's not true among us. I want us to have clarity of what this is about. And it's, uh, it's important. And you may say to yourself, well, what's so important about that? Having a bunch of, it's an ancient thing, blah, blah, blah. Just listen a little bit and see if it doesn't have relevance as we work our way through this morning's uh, teaching, okay? Genesis 6 of the Bible tells us that in ancient times, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he'd ever made them, put them on the earth. It broke his heart, and the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, even the birds of the sky, I'm sorry I ever made them. But the Bible goes on to tell us that out of all humanity on the earth at that time, one man found favor and grace in the eyes of God. The name of that one man was Noah. And Genesis 6 explains that Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time. He walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures, for they've filled up the earth with violence. Yes, I'll wipe them all out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood, or the old King James says gopher wood. And waterproof it with tar inside and out, and then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. God in the biblical text goes on and gives instructions for the size, the design, the layout of the boat. And then he says to, to Noah, he says, I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And you're to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you, two of every kind of bird. And I, I want to pause right there. Um, today is Super Bowl Sunday, right? Last week we had one who spoke for me, and I appreciated him speaking, who was emphasizing things about the Patriots here a couple of weeks ago. And I just, I just want to see, just pause for a moment, who is on the ark? Look at the tag, verse 22, of every kind of bird. What kind of animal is an eagle? Hmm. There were two eagles on the ark, I think. I think there were two eagles on the ark. Let's see if there are any patriots. I'm sorry, that was, that was shameless, I'm sorry. But, uh, but I couldn't resist. Uh, my wife pointed this out to me earlier, and I just thought, you're right. So now, Bob, it's her fault. So, so thank you, though, for speaking last week. Pick up again with me, verse 20. I'm sorry for the parenthetical thought there. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind 
of creature that moves along the, or the ground will come to you and be kept, to be kept alive, God says. And you're to take every kind of food that's to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. And the Bible goes on to tell us that Noah did everything exactly as God commanded him. And when everything was ready, the Lord told Noah and his family to enter the ark. And the text actually says that God shut the door. They didn't. God did. Seven days later, the Bible tells us that all the underground waters of the earth erupted. Giant fissures opened up in the earth and water gushed forth is what the Bible describes. And rain began to fall in mighty torrents from the sky. The atmosphere collapsed in a way that we've never experienced uh, since. And rain began to, torrents of rain began to fall and it continued like that for 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says. Genesis 7, 17 says, for 40 days the floodwaters grew deeper covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface, and finally the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. All living things on the earth died, birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, all the people and then the Bible says this in Genesis 8, 1, God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock with him in the boat. He sent a wind to blow across the earth and the floodwaters began to recede and the underground waters stopped flowing and the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. So the floodwaters gradually receded from the earth after 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began the boat came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Noah and his family waited another four months or so for the earth to dry. And one day, Genesis 8 tells us that God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you. You and your wife and your sons and their wives release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, all the small animals that scurry along the ground so that they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth, God said. And then Genesis 9 goes on to tell us something that's very important, particularly with what we're talking about today, as we think in terms of the rainbow. I want you to listen carefully to what these next verses have to say. Genesis 9 says this, God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the ark with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I'm confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. And then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds. And I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. And never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I'll remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. And then God said to Noah... Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I'm confirming with all the creatures on earth. It's a little redundant, wouldn't you say? But God trying to make it clear that the rainbow was a big deal and it's a sign of his covenant. 
Now, there are plenty of people in our day who will read a text like this, read the entirety of it. I mean, I read a big chunk of scripture there if you were following along with me. I mean, actually, it's a lot shorter than what the actual text says. I mean, I didn't read the whole thing. But there are plenty of people who will read a passage like this and reflect on it a little bit and question whether or not this event ever really happened. And I happen to believe that it did. I believe that it happened exactly as the Bible describes. Think about this with me. If God can create the universe, the earth, and all its creatures to begin with, including mankind, if he can heal the sick, if he can rise from the dead, if he can speak to a dead person, Lazarus come forth, and it happened, it's not hard for me to believe that he's also capable of flooding the earth and rescuing Noah and his family and two of every kind or genus of land, animal, or bird in the sky. That's, it's, it's not difficult for me to believe that. It's just not. A few years ago, I discovered a, a Christian ministry in northern Kentucky who agrees with me on this matter. And uh, unlike me, they placed a $20 million bet that it really happened. And they didn't do it at a casino. What they did was they built something called the Ark Encounter. The ministry is called the Ark Encounter. If you've never been to uh, northern Kentucky, it's a life-size, wood-constructed Noah's Ark is what they built in northern Kentucky. Uh, to the exact dimensions provided in the Bible, they built it. If you look at this picture, you see this. This is the nose of the, of the ship. See those little bitty people in the front? That's us. That's, that's uh, some of my family. I'm, I'm taking the picture. This is Lori and, and the boys. We're standing just outside of the ark. It's mammoth. It's huge. The ark is 510 feet long by 85 feet wide by 51 feet high. It's the exact dimensions that... that uh, uh, Noah's Ark originally was built uh, when you convert cubits, old King James, to, uh, to our measurements. It's an engineering marvel. Just to give you another sense of scale, look at that ship, okay? See in the bottom right corner of the picture, what do you see there? A city bus. You could park gobs of those in that, si in that thing. It's huge. It's huge. It's just like little bitty bus up against a great big think cruise ship only bigger it's massive three levels inside most of us have in our mind we think of noah's ark this little bitty boat you know you think of like a a lake boat you know they can sleep on overnight or something like that we don't grasp the scale of what god asked noah to build so i just wanted you to see this in part because if you're ever in Cincinnati, Louisville, Lexington in the near future, go see this place. I mean, you really do. You have to go see it. Their website is www.arkencounter.com. Read about it. And if you're a skeptic, that's okay, but read. Do a little more research. Don't just make assumptions because you start doing research and what you find out is that the Bible's not as crazy as you thought maybe it was. You realize that every ocean-going vessel, uh, all, of the, all of the major ocean-going vessels of our day have been built from the most ancient of times to the dimensional structure that God gave us centuries and centuries ago and gave Noah. It's unbelievable. I mean, the things that you will find and discover if you do just a little bit of research on this.
But here's the thing, as impressive as the ark is, the true marvel of Genesis 9 and Genesis 6 through 9 is not located in northern Kentucky. That's not it. It's not even that God created an ark to begin with, truthfully. The true marvel is located in the clouds. Every time a rainstorm gives way to the sun, it's the rainbow. And I would wager, if I was the ark encounter people, that you, that you have been doing things at some point in time, engaged in whatever you're doing, only to look up and see a rainbow arcing across the sky and it stop you in your tracks. Because it's beautiful, it's impressive, it's just after the storm, sometimes right in the middle of a storm. According to the Bible, the rainbow is more than just a meteorological phenomenon, which is how much of our culture thinks of it today. It's more than just a political statement, which another portion of our culture thinks in terms of today. It's more than just the subject of a famous Kansas song, which there are those in our culture think of today because we happen to be in Kansas. Every rainbow is a timeless message from God that every one of us needs to hear. We need to understand it. It's a visual reminder of God's eternal covenant with all people, with all of creation. It's laden with meaning and significance that you and I can easily miss if we don't take the biblical text, not just in Genesis, but its entirety into account and consideration. So this morning, for the next few minutes, I want to remind all of us from Scripture of the rainbow's ancient significance and contemporary meaning. My hope is that this spring, as rainbows start popping, that you never see a rainbow the same. It's my hope that you'll look at it and go, not just, ooh, that's beautiful, but you'll pause and think of all the things that Scripture describes of rainbows. According to Scripture, every rainbow is a reminder of the presence of God. How is that, you say? I don't have a lot of time to spend on this, but the ancient prophet Ezekiel once had a jaw-dropping vision of God, and he describes seeing God in the text, high and exalted and seated upon a throne. Ezekiel 1.26 says, something on a throne that looks something like a throne made of blue lapis lazuli. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but it's just these rich gemstones. And Ezekiel describes how on this throne high above was a figure whose appearance resembled a man. Think about that. From what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like gleaming amber flickering like a fire. From his waist down, he looked like a burning flame shining with splendor. All around him, listen, was a glowing halo like a rainbow shining in the clouds on a rainy day. This is what the glory of the Lord looked like to me. And when I saw it, I fell face down to the ground, Ezekiel says. Every rainbow... It's like a miniature reflection, a reminder of the glorious presence of God in our world. You, you look around you and you think sometimes his presence is obscured. You can't see him, but the rainbow is just him breaking through and saying, I'm here. Don't forget. Just radiating from the throne room of God. Every rainbow is a timeless reminder of the promise of God. And we see it right there in the text of Genesis 9. Never again will I destroy the earth with water. How often? Never. Never again will I do that. That's the good news of the rainbow, particularly if you live near the coastline. You know, it ought to be good news. 
Doesn't mean there's not going to be a hurricane. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be some of these things. But it just means that the whole earth is not going to be flooded as it was in biblical times. According to the Bible, the bad news reminder of the rainbow, though, is he won't use water, but next time he's going to use fire. 2 Peter 3, verse 6 says, God used water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire. They're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. And I know what you're thinking, you know, even as I just read that, you're saying, thank you for that encouraging word. That's what you're thinking. Thank you for building up my faith this morning. That's just what I wanted to hear. That's, that's... Before you get too discouraged, I also want you to know that every rainbow is not just a reminder of these promises of God, but it's a reminder of the priority of God. The rainbow. Every time you see a rainbow, it's, it's a reminder of the priority of God. And I want you to think about this. God was personally committed to rescuing the faithful in Noah's day. He searched throughout the earth and he found the one person who was not fully devoted to violence and corruption and evil. And he found favor and grace in the eyes of God. Scriptures tell us and the flood did not start until Noah and his family were ready to board the ship. That's pretty significant. God was ready to destroy it the moment he told Noah about it. Sort of like, you know, you think of Lot and God comes down and he sees all the corruption of Sodom and Gomorrah and he's ready to destroy it and he ends up in a discussion with with Abraham and he's like ready to go do this right now. And so he, he goes to Sodom and Gomorrah. What's he do? He, uh, he finds Lot, Abraham's nephew, and he literally, the scriptures say eventually of the tale end of the story, he, he takes Lot by the hand and tells him, flee to the mountains because destruction's about to come to the city. And you're going to be swept up in it if you don't get out of here like right now. So, I mean, literally the angel's showing that kind of mercy. Grab his hands, leading him out saying, get out of here. God was ready to move then because the corruption had reached the heavens and he was grieved by it. Do you think God felt any different in Genesis 6 when he looked at the earth and every thought, every action, everything people could imagine had degenerated to the point where it was violent and evil? Do you think God, it was painless for him to wait But the scriptures say he did wait. Presumably, I mean, they didn't have lumber mills back in those days, like we think of at least. Presumably, Noah waited, God waited for the trees to grow that perhaps became a part of the ark. Waited for Noah and his sons to harvest the trees, to groom the trees, to prepare. Undoubtedly, there were people in that day who did that sort of thing, but I doubt it was with a bandsaw. So this took a little while. God's waiting and waiting. He's being patient. The flood did not start until Noah and his family were ready, and God's even more personally involved. If you think about this in our day, he's even more personally involved in rescuing those who will come to him in faith in our day, will turn to him in faith. Remember the one who was seated upon the throne in Ezekiel's vision, the one who had the appearance of a man? Remember that? 
2,000 years ago, he stepped down from that throne, laid aside his glory, clothed himself in mortal flesh, the scriptures teach us. As a man, he took our sins upon himself and received in his body our punishment for sin. But as sinless God, death could not hold him. And now all who put their faith in him can be rescued from the coming judgment that one way, one day will arrive on this earth just as it arrived on one day in Noah's day. See, the difference is, is that in our day, Jesus Jesus is the ark of safety and rescue. It's not about putting your faith in a nameless, faceless God. It's not about putting your faith in a boat. It's about putting your faith in the one who rules and reigns over all things and who died in your place. God has made your rescue such a priority that he laid aside his glory so that you could have an opportunity to be rescued. Romans 10 tells us this, that if you openly declare, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by openly declaring your faith that you'll be saved. In verse 13, he continues and said, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, everyone, everyone who will call on the name of the Lord can be saved. So I want to ask you, have you called on the name of the Lord? Have you confessed him as your Savior, as your Lord? Have you acknowledged your need for him and with the faith of a little child come to him just saying, God, save me. I don't deserve it, but save me. Scriptures teach us not to delay in this matter because every rainbow is also a timeless reminder of the next plan of God. And don't misunderstand, there's a schedule in the heavens. There's a timeline. There's a date set. The clock is ticking. The sand is spilling through the the heavenly time keeper. And the next plan of God is that Jesus himself is returning soon. And he's returning to rescue his faith-filled children from the next global catastrophe, the next global judgment that's scheduled to come upon the earth and all of humanity. It's as cataclysmic as what Noah experienced, only it involves something else. Jesus says this in Matthew 24. He says, when the Son of Man returns, it'll be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings. Right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize Jesus said what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes, Jesus says. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. To one will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too, Jesus says to his own disciples, to his own followers, that you too 
must keep watch. For you don't know what day the Lord is coming. Point is that the rainbow ought to be a reminder to all of us that that day came once. And according to Jesus, that day is coming again. And just as God wanted no one to perish in ancient times, but he looked among humanity and, and could only find one person who'd listen to him. Right now, he's looking throughout humanity, saying, will anyone listen? We're a generation that wants to argue with whether God should judge evil until it affects us. Okay, that's the way we are as a culture. A holy and righteous God must judge evil. The fact that he's good and loving is that he gives given us a way of escape from the coming judgment. Will you have the humility of heart and spirit to say, I didn't make the rules, but I'll submit because God is good and he's looking out for me. You turn to him in faith. It's important that we remember that every rainbow is a timeless message from God that's communicating far more than we generally consider. And all of this, and believe it or not, more that I had time to weave into this, part of what God's conveying through the rainbow. It's not a social statement. So don't put it on your Facebook as though it's a social statement. I will lovingly smack you. <laughs> don't do that. Don't, don't just think it's a meteorological thing. Don't see it for what it is. The mercy of God for all who will turn to him in faith. I want to close with this thought. A couple of weeks ago, Hawaii had a horrible scare. Most of you are familiar with it. The Hawaii state official, uh, a Hawaii state official issued a false warning that the island had an incoming ballistic missile. He set off a statewide alarm, and uh, for 38 minutes, 1.3 million people thought, this might be the end for me. What would you do if you only had 38 minutes to live? What would you do differently? Many in Hawaii were unprepared for that moment. Many in Noah's day were unprepared for their moment. I mean, this morning's message is an attempt, I believe, on God's part to make sure that you and I are not, prepared, or are not unprepared. He wants us to be ready. And it has everything to do with you and me looking heavenward and confessing Jesus, inviting him, our ark of safety, to come and dwell within us. So that on that day when he does return, he looks through the crowds of humanity and he says, I know you. And I know you. And I know you. And with every look, you 
are rescued. It is God's plan for you if you and I will turn to him in faith. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer this morning. And I believe the invitation of God is just for you to open your heart to him. And if you've never invited him to, to be your savior, to be your Lord, for you to look heavenward and just say, Lord, I need you now. I need you now. I don't want to be trying to figure this out then. I need you now. Today's the day to get your heart right with God. Today's the day to get your life right with the people in your relationships in your world. Today's the day to, to humble yourself before God and see all that he's doing to try to reach out to you. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. We're going to pray. If you need prayer about anything specific uh, afterwards, just come on down. We can pray for you. If you need to talk to somebody about this, I mean, we want to pray with you about this. But let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are merciful. You are holy, you're righteous, you're high and lifted up. If we saw the, the scene that Ezekiel saw of you, uh, on your throne, you on your glorious throne, just as he was undone, was flat on his face, we would be as well. We don't deserve to be given the time of day by one so great as you. But in your mercy and in your love and affection, we are your creatures. We're your creation. You made us. You long for relationship with us. You, you love us and you have paid the penalty for our sins because you care for us. You're longing for us to humble ourselves and cry out to you for mercy, for forgiveness, for the filling of your Holy Spirit, for, for more of you. And so, God, this morning, we just confess to you our need for you Fill us, make us yours. We turn our hearts toward you. We confess you as King of kings and Lord of lords. We acknowledge that you've been resurrected from the dead. And if you can be raised from the dead, you can speak to mountains and they be moved. You can, you can flood the earth. Not just a little bitty regional flood, but you could flood the entire earth. And you find it astonishing that even the highest mountains have the remains of sea creatures on them. We recognize it is not a coincidence, O oh God. It is your act in history, your action in history, and another action is coming, and you want us to be prepared for that. So we humble ourselves before you. We ask that you'd cleanse us, that you would fill us, that you would make us yours. Maybe this morning some of you just need to say, Lord Jesus, make me yours. Your Lord. I want you to be my savior. Lord, hear us. In your mercy, we thank you that we have the opportunity to be rescued one day. Thank you that this world is not all there is, that there's more to come. And it's going to be glorious because you're the one that set all of this up and all that's good that we enjoy. You know how to do again or better. We look forward to that, O oh God. Others, we leave this place today. May we reflect on these things. May we reorder our lives in light of these things. May we take seriously the people in our lives who, who maybe make fun of these things or light of them or just don't take them seriously. Would you help us 
Would you use us as you use Noah to be a voice in his generation? Help us to be a voice in our generation, spreading the word that there's hope, there's life, there's salvation, there's opportunity because of you. Father, thank you for your grace. Would you fill us? Would you go with us and flood our world with your grace through us? That's our prayer. We lift it in Jesus' name. Amen.